0: of the month he 'll be here on November the twenty eighth uh, I met with him this well, last week, and uh, Judy and I had uh, lunch with him and uh, some challenges had come up where he had to be away and We had rescheduled him from last month. He had to go to Florida to help his daughter get moved out of the house tree fell on. he did that so it couldn 't come and he sent the mounts here on that Sunday, and that was a delight. Then we rescheduled it for the seventeenth of the month, and that fell through because he 's been called to the other camp out in West Branch, Arizona. And uh, so we've rescheduled him for November the 28th, so he'll be with us all day on November the 28th, and I hope that you'll be here on that day, and uh, come and bring some guests with you. You'll appreciate the ministry of Dr. Bill Rice III. For this morning, you'll have to put up with me. It's in Romans 8. If you would look at chapter number 8, verses 1 through 4 for a text, we encourage you to note carefully the passage of Scripture. This is, uh, after moving out of chapter 7, which was somewhat of a sort of a downward spiral chapter. This is a chapter that heads upward. It's sort of the pyramid of the book. And it is a great, great chapter in Romans. Let me read to you the first four verses for context. Paul writes to the church at Rome, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man or sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Back in chapter 7, when we were there, Paul explained there about this phrase that he's used repeatedly, and that is the phrase, the law of sin and death it matches up to very well what you find in chapter 8, the phrase, the law of the spirit of life. And when you look at those two equally so, there's a, there's a parallel between them and in essence a contrast. And uh, it seems as both are real and relevant and a reality in the life of believers. And that is inside of your life this morning, even as a believer, there is a law of sin and death operative. That's what chapter 7 was dealing with. Uh, so many Christian people like to think that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there, the, you know the wars are over, and, and that boy, the Christian life is just a breeze, swing all the way into the golden streets of heaven. Uh, I got news for you: you need to read Romans chapter seven very carefully, because that's not the truth. The truth is there is a warfare going on, and Paul the apostle, who probably was one of the greatest Christians whose feet ever dirt dirted up the earth. ...who was honest from the heart, spoke in chapter 7 and said, I'm telling you, it's a constant battle with this sin nature. And what he was talking about is the law of sin and death. Well, when you come to chapter number 8 then, he turns it over to the law of the spirit of life. And what he's going to tell you here is, in essence, how there can be a victorious Christian life... ...and dealing with this law of sin and death. Here in chapter number 8... For the verse study of the passage of verses 1 and 2, I'd like for you to think of it in terms of a spiritual biology. In fact, I think you'll understand the message today better if you'll understand it in that context. Spiritual biology. Uh, for instance, I, I'm confident you know that the, the Greek word for life. Is bios, and we get from that word bio, and that's the word that is the prefix to the word biology. Biology, in one dictionary, is defined as the science that deals with the laws of the origin of life and the life processes. A biography is described as the account of a person's life. A biopsy, in a dictionary, is simply defined as the removal of life, living body, cells, or tissue. There's also another word today we've heard much in fact just this last 2 days I've heard a lot about bionics bionics which is the science of designing instruments or systems modeled after living organisms in the time to replace the living with artificial that's bionics What's interesting about that is in the arena of the Christian faith, I believe there is an effort to design a so-called faith that is not the real thing but not any the less pushed as real to attract folks who might be otherwise turned off to the real things. I call that spiritual bionics. And I submit to you uh, there is a lot of spiritual bionics going on. For instance, uh, Brother Jim Wimenauer gave me a copy of this, and then uh, uh, Judy cut out a copy or had a copy and showed me, and then Diane brought a copy to her home the other night to show me. This all come out of the Indianapolis Star, and it showed up last Sunday. uh, It went much further than what I have here. I only have one page out of the Indianapolis Star, but this thing covered probably, uh, I'd say totally, it probably would cover a whole page. But it was on separate pages with separate columns for a newspaper column, and you know how those run. The fact is, what it heads up here is luring teenagers to religion. Luring teenagers to religion. I have a lot of problem with just even the, the word Luring. Uh, Because if you go to a dictionary and you look up the word luring, here's what you'll find. It says it's it's defined as bait, as decoy, as enticement, or if you're a fisherman, it's artificial bait. Now, the fact of the matter is nothing luring ought to relate to anything that God ever did. God doesn't depend on tricks and magic and any kind of bait and switch kind of issue here. You know, he presents the gospel, and if you realize you're a sinner and realize Christ died for you and you embrace the gospel, you can be saved and go to heaven. But there's not going to be a bait-and-switch deal. He's not going to lure you in with something, and that's why around at the church we've, we've never been too big on the business of, of having an activity and someone say, then, then at the end we'll step on there the, the gospel, you know. Let me tell you, around here the gospel doesn't come last. The gospel comes first. It's not a thing that we're ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter one made it very clear when Paul himself says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel." Why aren't you ashamed, Paul? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And we don't have to be ashamed of the gospel. You, by the way, you don't have to be ashamed of any truth, because of the very fact that it is truth, it stands on its own feet. And for people to go around acting like we've got to somehow doctor the faith in order to get somebody to embrace it. You say, oh, oh, but pastor, you don't understand. What this article is saying is that uh, they're, they're, you know, they're trying to, to make it fun. Hey, I'm not against fun. I've had my share. I mean, I've set fields of fire and been paddled for that. That's fun, boy. I mean, really, yeah, a lot of fun to do that. My, I know what fun is. I really do. I've had mine. But listen, listen. What this is about, it's trying to get somebody to believe that the gospel or the whole Christian life is something that it's not. That's what this is about. This is a picture. If you can't see it from there, these are arcade screens. And what this is about is young people coming in here and taking their seat on stools and playing these games and the very concept written behind this is that they want to make that in a religious atmosphere and from their take eleven churches went together to do this by the way from their point of view that's spiritual you know why that's spiritual because they're unified in coming together you'll forgive me unity it doesn't mean a thing Unless you have purpose, and that purpose is bigger and greater than you are. See, unity is not just going to be religious because you get together with someone. Uh, You can get together with your dog in the backyard. I was together with a possum last night. Possums move at this time of year, and boy, they were moving across the back patio, and I went and got my flashlight, and boy, and I examined this guy. Possum, you can blind him with the light, of course, and then you can just look at him all over the place. And he's just standing there and tail curled up looking around. And, and, and I, I had unity. We were together in this thing. We really felt good. And, how ridiculous, huh? You see? And that's what this is. It's substituting something that is real for something that's artificial. That's an artificial kind of thing. And I'm saying to you, these people are wasting thousands, yea, millions of dollars across the United States of America with this kind of mentality. And what they're doing is it's called and somewhat of a spiritual bionics. It is taking something that's not real and it is substituting it for the real thing. And all through this article, it makes it crystal clear. Here is a perfect illustration of it, and it's on the very front page in the very first article. It's about a young lady. She says she enjoys listening to the hip-hop artists who use Christian messages in their music. She says, and I quote, If you come at a teenager with Jesus loves you, that would turn a lot of kids away. Now, you'll forgive me, but what else can you tell someone Other than, in fact, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in them should not perish but have everlasting life. Now you tell me how to tell them God loves them without telling them God loves them. You say, well, you know, don't you think you could substitute? There's that word again. You're trying to take out the real and put in something that's not real and try to make people think it'll get you to heaven. I'm here to tell you this morning, this this world is on a downhill slide. And it's like it's got the world by the tail and it's heading to hell in a, in, a, in, a, in a bread basket by virtue that everybody thinks that we need to do a better job of remodeling and working up and fixing the gospel so that everybody will accept it. Let me let you in on a biblical secret. It is from the get-go of the scriptures, God knew very well that everybody was not going to accept it in the first place. That's why it says, whosoever believeth. Otherwise, say, well, I'm going to save all of you whether you like it or not. It's a choice. But it's not a choice based on artificial truth. Something that's not real, that looks real, that sounds real, sounds good, sounds fun, sounds exciting. That's not the key, my friend. The key is whether or not it passes the litmus test of Scripture. Does the Bible say that it's, that's the way it is or does it not? And for these people, and it amazes me their stupidity, and you'll forgive the language. They've taken a building and they've turned it into an MTV set called Beach Set. And you'll forgive me, but would anybody want their kids to turn out like MTV kids? And yet we set this stage up and we set this program up in a church and have an MTV setting and expect our young people to go into that and participate in that and come out on the other side. Very spiritual people. Really concerned about who they marry, whether saved or lost. Really save godly, context people who go to church every service and who read the Bible and let God help them make decisions. You'll forgive me, that ain't going to happen in an MTV set. I don't care in what church you place it. And we're absolutely nuts if we think we can do that. And you forgive me, but the church is acting that way. We're acting foolish, we're acting giddy about trying to come up with some, some clever way. To get somebody who's not interested in spiritual things interested. Let me tell you something. We have something that takes care of that. My job is not make the world excited about the gospel. My job is to share it. It's God's job to convict people of it. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And that's what this is getting rid of. Who needs the Holy Spirit? We can get them in here, man. I saw a church going to have a fish fry today. Hey. I don't like fish. I wouldn't go there. I don't care what fish they fixed. I hate fish. Ugh, got enough bones in them, they could sink a ship. The fact of the matter is, if you like fish and you went to that place today, if they preach the gospel, I have no problem with that. You've got to eat something. But if you make that the key thing and if you get them there together and there's no presentation of the gospel and there's nothing to do with spirituality and an encouragement to walk, live, and serve the Lord, I have big trouble with that. And that's what we're doing We're taking out the real and we're replacing it with something that's not. And I say to you, when you start doing that, it's just an artificial pacifier. It may make people feel better about themselves, but it's not going to do the job. And I'll remind you of this, that these bodies of flesh, and then through this sin nature that abides therein, is our link with our father Adam. And I remind you of this, our sin nature is the devil's access to our humanity. And don't you ever forget that. Our sin nature in these sinful bodies, this sinful flesh, is the devil's access to our humanity. People in this world who are enslaved to drugs and to drinking alcohol and homosexuality and anger and pornography and whatever other sin there may be. When these people, these slaves of sin, come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I submit to you the struggle doesn't stop. It isn't over right then and there. And I tell you this, it's a very false idea that's also being perpetrated in some of these same kind of articles. It says today that in Christianity, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the struggle with sin is over. There are no more conflicts. There is no more suffering with pain. And all the mountains that lie just before your path, he will remove. And then you ask the question, why, why, and how can that happen? Here's the statement. They said, because we're kids of the king. And we do not have to face and deal with those things because our Father is the King. Let me let you in on a biblical secret. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you're absolutely right. Your Father is the King. And you're absolutely right when you understand that the Father wants the very best for you. But removing mountains, making sure that you never have another twinch of pain is not the best thing for you. And the Father knows that. And so therefore, my friend, when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be some mountains and there are going to be some painful experiences and there is going to be some conflicts. In fact, it is important to understand those kind of people and what they're perpetrating on the community of the church is just empty talk. Empty talk. Vain speech, if you please. And I say to you, it's a very poor handling of what the Bible really teaches. Let me tell you what the Bible really teaches. It's found in a passage in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1, 2, and 3. You're familiar with it, I'm sure. If you're not, you should be. Isaiah the prophet says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee, and I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. And I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. Oh, I realize the primary interpretation hermeneutically is that was written to Israel. I know that. But I also know that just like Israel was, that we have been created, we have been called, and we have been formed, saved by the grace of God. And I realize, therefore, that the same obligation that he placed himself under to take care of Israel this way, he's placed himself with us. So when I walk through the waters, he's going to be there. When I have to walk through the fire, he's going to be there. He never at any time, at any point, always said, I'll dry up the sea so you can walk on dry ground. He never said, I'll take away all the mountains that you have to face. He never said that. What he did say is, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's what he said. And, Mary, if you come into the Christian faith thinking that he's just going to wipe everything out and everything's just going to be clear sailing to the golden streets of heaven, you have been misinformed. By the way, let me remind you of something. I read again this week the story of the prodigal son. And I also read J. Vern McGee's story about the prodigal son, which you ought to read. That is his sermon. He made this statement and asked this question. He said, do you know the difference between the son in the pig pen and the pig in the pig pen? Do you know the difference between the son in the pig pen and the pig in the pig pen? And when I first read it, I stopped. I didn't read it first. Do I know the difference between the Boy, the son, in the pig pen, and the pig in the pig pen. I thought, what in the world is he getting at? And then in typical J. Vernon McGee style, he said, I'll tell you. There's never been a pig that came to himself in a pig pen and said, I will arise and go to my father. And he's absolutely right. Never been a pig that came to the end of himself and said, I've had enough of this. I'm I'm leaving here. I'm going to go back to my father. And my father will receive me. And he'll do for me what I cannot do for myself. He'll reset my absolute steps. And I say no matter what the mess you may be into, and it may be a stinking mess at that, you as a believer are in Christ Jesus because you've trusted him. And because of that... I can say to you, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. And I can also say to you that your Father loves you deeply, cares for you pr- pr- tremendously, and you can get into nothing that He can't help you get out of. Romans chapter 7, when Paul wrote this, in chapter 7, verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am, Romans seven twenty four. who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And he recorded in verse 25 a statement of thanksgiving. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord... So then with a the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, he serves the law of sin. Then he gets the encouragement he needs from the Heavenly Father in Romans 8.1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Paul just comes out of the realization in chapter 7 of how strong this sin nature is that still dwells within us. But he comes into chapter 8 with a keen awareness that there is still, even with any of those things going wrong there is still no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So if you've been in the pig pen this week, let me encourage you to get out. Let me also remind you that even though you've been there as a child of God, there still is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And that's the encouraging word. It's not just because you lived a perfect Christian life this week that there is no condemnation. It's because you're in Christ Jesus the Lord. That's what makes the difference. Today, let me call your attention to the fact of verse number 2. Last week, it took us a whole sermon to get through verse 1. And I want to relieve your fears. that It's taken us a whole hour to get through verse 2. So don't worry about 3 and 4. We'll not get there. But in verse number 2, here's what he says. He starts it with the word for. After making the statement, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is, hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse number 2 tells you why there is no condemnation. It starts with a 4. Why is there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 4 is the reason for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It's a reason, it's an explanation of why verse number one says what it does. If you write in your Bible and in the margins or take notes, let me just urge you to write this beside. Think of it in terms of here, the first part of this verse two is telling you the power for you to live the Christian life. This is the power. You see, it says, for the law of the spirit of life. And that's important. We're going to talk about, and this is spiritual biology. And that's what this is. Let me explain it to you. Here's how it goes. Christianity differs from all other religions in the world in many points, but especially in this. In that the life of the founder, creator, savior is actually implanted in the professing believer. No religion in the world has that. Our Savior's life is implanted in the believer, and that makes it possible for us to live life, live the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life unless you have Christ's life. Simple. Just can't do it. It's an impossibility. That's why the guy down the street can quit drinking all he wants to, but if he has never trusted Christ as Savior, he still is not a Christian turning over new leaves. He can turn over 50 volumes of leaves, and it won't make him a Christian because that's not the problem. The problem is spiritual biology. There has to be a life that's implanted. Let me remind you, back over in the very beginning in Genesis, that great chapter and great book in the early going where it explains things. In chapter number 2 and verse number 7, the Bible states succinctly that God formed man of the dust of the earth. Formed him, the Bible says. We know that he created man. Then you come over to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 19 and listen to what Paul says. This is Paul the apostle speaking. Chapter 4 verse number 19, Paul makes this statement. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And then if you look at the passage where we are in chapter 8, and look at verse number 29 of Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 29 says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Here's what happened. God formed man, that's an exterior physical body. God gave him that. Man was formed of the dust of the earth, created. God did that. So here you have man. God says, Now I want man to come into a right relationship with me. So what God does in that context is that He has what we call, and the Scriptures teach clearly, John 3, is the new birth, being born again, spiritual birth, spiritual biology. And there He's born into God's family. The fact is that though He has that life there, He will not progress unless He, as it were, draws upon the nutrients of God's Word, teaching, preaching of God's Word. And that's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 4.19. That's why some Christians are as little and small and weak and immature today as they were a day after they trusted Christ as Savior. Galatians 4.19. Paul says, I'm going to keep working with these young believers until Christ be formed and the ideal is fully formed in them. And that's an internal thing. You see, what we have a tendency to do is want people to I- express externally an indication, a sign, a symptom, an evidence of salvation real quick. And what happens is we expect too much because that's not going to happen. Paul knew it full well in Galatians 4. He says, no, no, we've got to work on getting Christ formed in them. And then you go to Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. And then down here, as they take on truth of God's word and they conform to God's word, then they'll be conformed to his image, which will show externally. And in the word used for image in chapter 8 and verse number 29, it indicates an external view. What you see, what you see is what you get. But it starts with a forming of Christ internally. And that's part of what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. I remind you that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that third person of the Holy Trinity that works in regeneration of every believer. Not by the washing of water by the Word, but the Holy Spirit's work, as Paul wrote to Titus about it. And the consequent of that is that he imparts life. John chapter 3 is very clear that it was the Holy Spirit that imparts that. But here in Romans chapter 8, as Romans 8 will go on and it will show this, that it's the Spirit of the Lord that empowers the believer to live. And that's the important word, live. Take that life that's inside and let it out. Live that life as God would have it done. By the way, the law of sin and death that Romans chapter 7 so adequately described that's in every believer is, uh, I guess you say, focused or funneled through the sin nature. And that's important because you have to understand that um, it's characteristic is to do this, is to drag you down. God's plan for his people is that they move upward, spiritually speaking. That sin nature's tendency and characteristic is, as the devil would be delighted, is to pull you down. Here's an illustration that you don't, ought not forget. If you take a ball and you, if you take a book, uh, if you take this book and you Throw it into the air, come back down. Obviously, some of you thought it wouldn't. You thought I had something that was going to go through the roof, I know. But here, you throw this thing into the air, and it comes down. Reason, because this book is heavier than the air that it displaces. So when you throw it in the air, it's heavier than the air, so it comes back down. You can take a bird. You can take an eagle. You can take an eagle, hold him in your hand, a live eagle. If you want to hold him in your hand, I would not ask a deacon to hold him. But uh, we would throw the, the eagle in the air. You think, you think the eagle will come back down? No. Why wouldn't he come back down? You see, the law of gravity would say that the book will come back down because the law of gravity would tell you that this book is heavier than the air. So it has to fall back to the air. But when you throw that eagle in the air, there's another law that comes into effect. The law of life. That eagle's alive. And that eagle's life gives it strength and energy to lift its wings. And it flies away. That's the best comparison that I can make to what this passage of Scripture is talking about. You see, the whole idea of the law of life that's in the bird overcomes the law of gravity that's in the earth. And what the Bible is teaching in Romans chapter 8 is that the Holy Spirit supplies the believer with this life that comes from Christ so that you, when thrown into the air of this downward-pulling nature that is ours, you can rise and fly above it. That's what Romans 8 is saying. And I say to you, when you come to understand that, it encourages. And, it, and by the way, it shouldn't get you to think that this life is a uh, the new life that's in Christ is a remodeling of the old. What what we're talking about here is a life that God gives or imparts to us by the Holy Spirit. Here's people asking. I've had it asked me in the ministry, and they'll they'll say to me, "How do you do? You believers become more like Christ?" And uh, they'll say, uh, "Do you just take down?" And a few weeks ago, a uh, uh, Card was sent to me in a mail and said, "Pastor Henry," and said. Uh if, uh, if you'd like this free book, return this card or, or email us at this address and whatever. And as I've told you before, no preacher. In fact, a call to the ministry of pastoring is determining whether you ever turn down a free book. If you do, you're not called. There's no way you can be called to preach and turn down a free book. That's just not in it. So I get this card and I say, hey, we're sending this. And then we looked at it and Judy had to in, end up emailing these people for this card or the, for this book that came regarding this card. A few days ago, that book came in the mail interesting book well bound i mean this thing's good had a guarantee with this thing doesn't hold up send the book back you get another one what's unique about this book is this book all this book did all these authors did was go through the whole bible and pull out just what jesus christ said no comments no explanations just took what only what he said not what somebody else said to him or what somebody else thought he said but just what he said and their ideal is if you just read what Jesus said. You'll be a better Christian. You'll forgive me. But when I read this, I didn't know what he was talking about. I had to go back to the Gospels and look what the context was. What was he saying when he said that? But their ideal is, if you'll just read Jesus' words, you'll be the kind of Christian you ought to be. You'll forgive me, but you can't do that unless you read it in his context. You can't do it. You know, they, they, they talk about Judas and what he did, and they say, well, go and do likewise. Well, if you don't take it in context, it's not saying go and do what Judas did. Context was these other matters, to go and live the Christian life. My point is, you take anything out of its context, you ruin the whole thing. Their idea is if you'll take his words, and you will imitate them. They encourage you, memorize what he said. Well, what did he say to who, when? I mean, what am I, when, when am I going to say it? You don't know when to say it if you don't know the context, the point of these folks were saying. Imitate him. Imitate him. And then you'll be Christ-like. That's not right. We don't have to puppet his words and even his actions by writing them down on a piece of paper and leaving the church on Sunday morning and saying, well, Pastor Henry gave us all this list of things that Christ did and how he behaved. And so if I go pattern those things, if I imitate those things, I'll be spiritual. no. I remind you with what I started with. This passage is about spiritual biology. It's about life that's been implanted in you so you'll do what He would want you to do. You see, when I have to get up on a Sunday morning and plead and beg and beseech and and sometimes even exhort with hard passion to get people to do a certain thing that's right, I know right away something's missing in the key ingredient. What is it? It's life. It's life. You don't, have to, you don't have to beg people to be like Christ. You just have to explain to those people that that life that's in them that was planted there by the Spirit of the Lord will nurture them toward a Christ-likeness. There's a principle that's in almost every book I've ever seen that has anything to do with natural science. It's this quote. Quote, Matter does not form the life, but the life forms the matter. And that's true. You see, it's the life inside of you that's going to form you. It's not going to be you trying to work up a scheme of here's all the do's and here's all the don'ts and if I do the do's and don't the don'ts then I'm going to be all I ought to be. Not the way it works. It is a matter that first and foremost there has to be within you life. And it's not just your imagination. It's not just your emotions. It has to be a Holy Spirit implanted life. And that's why in John chapter 3... Our Lord said straight up, straight forward, eyeball to eyeball to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And I say to you, my friend, if you've been working and slaving and, and just struggling and doing all the kinds of things to be a Christian when something inside of you just recoils from all that, I suspect the problem is there's no life there, no spiritual life. And before there can ever be spiritual growth, there has to be spiritual life. And that's what this passage of Scripture is dictating and saying and and setting forth. This world is, I am convinced, filled with artificially religious people. And that's a serious statement. This world is filled with artificially religious people. And I mean that because these people don't have life. They'll read these verses as you and I will and we'll take encouragement from them. Listen to these verses. Paul wrote them. This one, first one is in Philippians chapter 1 in verse number 6. Paul wrote to the Philippian believers, he says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun, 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 begun. You know what begun is? It's near to begat. You know what begat is? Is to give life. He which hath begun, he which begat in you a good work will perform it, will finish it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, that ought to be an encouragement to you as a believer. He started life and he's going to finish it with you. And what he put in you is going to bring about what he desired. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. Beloved, now are we, now are we, now, right here, right now, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but there's one thing you can count on. We know that when he shall appear, we will be just like the devil. No, that's not what he says. You'll be just like the devil if you don't receive the Christ the Son and he puts his life in you. When he comes, when he appears, you're going to be just like him. Why? Because you've got his life that the Holy Spirit put there. You see, spiritual biology doesn't make any dumb mistakes. It's just very clear cut. If the Holy Spirit has placed Christ's life in you at the regeneration process, when Christ appears, you're going to be just like him. And it's not going to be because you did all the do's and you didn't do all the don'ts. It's not going to be that. It's going to be because there's life in you and you complied with. And by the way, compliance is willful and desiring. Yesterday in the ceremony with John Llewellyn's daughter, I don't know whether you caught it or not, but when I wrote my part of that uh, ceremony yesterday, I, I, I wrote within there that they had willfully made these promises. I didn't say, well, after, after Allison twisted Dustin's arm he decided to say this. I said willfully. You made this choice with no threats hanging over your head. And they agreed. They said, yeah. That's the way we made them. We made them willfully. We made them without any pressure to make this decision. May I tell you when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when you really come to know Jesus Christ and the life of Christ is implanted in you there will be something inside of you that pursues a closer more committed relationship with Jesus Christ. And it didn't have anything to do with you. It's not the background you came from. It's not how educated you are. It's not from the side of the tracks you got off on. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the life of Christ that's been placed there by the faithful work of the Holy Spirit. When he placed that there, he knew what he was doing and how he was doing it. That all, my friend, in chapter number 8, verse number 1 or verse number 2, is what I call the power to live the Christian life. And we got five minutes to finish the other part of the verse. And this is it. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit or the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the power. And then this latter part of this thing, I want you to think of, this is the protection. The protection of the life as a believer comes in the latter part. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus gives us the power to live the Christian life. Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what I call the protection of this life. And I say that because it says it hath made me free from. And you'll notice the context, the tense of it in the Greek at least sets forth and points to the fact that it's a finished once for all act of freeing me at salvation. I don't have to be freed again from this law of sin and death. I am free. We have been made free, but whether, listen, listen carefully, but whether we live free is up to us. We're free Americans, but whether we remain free will be left up to us. What do we do about our freedom? How do we respect it? How do we pray for it? How do we maintain it? How do I encourage it? How do I invest in it? All that depends on us. And may I tell you, our freedom in regard to what Paul is speaking of here hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I have the freedom. The issue is what will I do with it? And whether you have heard people say it, and I know you have, they would say to you, when you become a believer, a Christian, God gives you a clean slate. You ever heard that? When you come to know Christ, they give you a clean slate. You ever heard that? Put your hand know, up and say, if you ever heard sure, yeah. you, I hate to break your bubble, but it ain't true. It ain't true. And excuse the English. What he does is he takes away the sleep. He's no longer a scorekeeper. He's your heavenly father. He's not a spiritual policeman, runs around all the time seeing how he knocked you in the head and write down what you didn't do right. He's your heavenly father. And I don't care if you've been in the pig pen. I don't care if you've been eating with pigs. You can pick up and say, hey, I will arise and go to my father. And I know he'll accept me. Will he be pleased that I've been eating with pigs? Absolutely not. He is a holy God. He is thrice holy. He hates sin. It cost him his son's life. But he loves the sinner. And he has never said to a sinner, Hey, you're too dirty, man. I don't clean that much. I do who you think I am, Mr. Clean. He's never said that. He said, come with everything you got and don't change a bit. We sing just as I am around here and we sing it with purpose, reason. There's no cleaning up. You need to go first and say, Well, when I do this and I get this worked out and I change that and I, and I stop that, I'll come and I'll, I'll be saved. If you do all that, you don't need to be saved. You know, you'll think you saved yourself. He wants you to come and come from the pig pen and say you come and I'll take care from that let me tell you this what he can does and will give you is this not a clean slate but a clean heart a clean heart and he'll say it's time for you to quit trying quit this business of trying to be good and start trusting me because when I impart my life in you it makes living the Christian life possible but only then but only then. Oh, and by the way, along the way you'll still fail. And you may even find yourself back in the pig pen occasionally. I still have good news. He still says, Come again. Come again. I say to you this morning, if you're here and you've never been to the Father in the first place, he's got his hands out and he's saying, Come unto me, all oh, ye that are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And I'll clean you up. I'll feed you, provide for you. And oh, by the way, when you walk through the waters, I'll be there. And When you go through the fire and you get a little bit hot, I'll guarantee you won't be burned. I'll take care of that. I won't keep you from it, but I'll be there with you so you'll know that I'm who I said I was. So this morning, my friend, if you're here and you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, I encourage you, exhort you, beseech you that you quit trying to be a Christian. And come to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, As best I know how, I believe that you died for me on the cross. You paid my sin debt. And right here, right now, I quit the battle of trying to save myself. And trust you fully, completely, and totally. I want you to be my Savior. I have good news for you. He'll save you in a heartbeat. And as that spirit of life is imparted in you, then you can live the Christian life. The Word of God does make sense. It begins to take on a new dimension with a new dynamic. And everything about life and living will drastically change for you. Will you be perfect? No. You're still in the flesh. I remind you, the law of sin and death still operate in your life. And your humanity is the devil's access to try his best to drag you down. But I remind you like the eagle that's when tossed into the sky flies inside of you, there is a law of the Spirit of life put there by the Holy Spirit of God that can overcome any of the laws of the flesh that have ever been laid. I hope this morning you take God at His Word, believe upon Him, and if you've never trusted Him as Savior, we invite you to do so even now. Our Father in Heaven, how grateful we are for You, for Your Word. And for the Christian life that you have designed and created and nurtured and made possible for every human being on the face of the earth. Father, thank you for sending your son to die in our place. None of us could get to heaven apart from what you did and did completely for us. If you didn't do it for ourselves, you did it for us. And the sooner we come to the end of ourselves, the better off we'll be. So right here, right now, I ask you to work in every heart of every life of every person. And I pray that the people in this room this morning might face the reality of who they are in relationship to the holy god of heaven i pray they'll see themselves as you see them they'll recognize unless there's been a time in their life where they bowed their heads and their hearts and believed on christ as the only savior of the world i pray father that they'll face the reality that they're not your child they have been and become artificially religious but the only real salvation comes out of a new birth Produced by the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray this morning that we'll take Romans chapter eight and verse number two, and we'll understand the dynamics of this thing. And we'll recognize that there is a life inside of us that has been implanted there by our Savior, by the Spirit of the Lord. And it makes it possible to live a victorious Christian life. I pray help our people to do that. And for the friends that may be here without Christ. Help them to know that, first of all, they're among friends. They're among people who know where they are. They've been there. We've been there. I've been there. I know what it is to be lost and undone and wandering in a world as big as this one, and I know what that's like. And I know about all the confusing invitations to come and do and act and behave and what have you. But I also know the simple invitation that our Lord gave is, Come unto me. Not come unto a religion, not come unto a church, not come unto a belief system, but rather come unto me. And Father, I pray today that you may help people to do just that. If in doubt, may they come. If confident and yet spoken to about matters, may they come. Whatever our needs are, we know they'll be met in Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And for that, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? And if you need to buy a, a hymn book, turn to 282. The first stanza is our chorus, or song of Just As I Am. We'll sing the first stanza. of God has spoken to your heart this morning and especially about your relationship with Christ, we invite you to come. If you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ personally, we would urge you, exhort you to come and allow someone to take you to one of our private side counseling rooms and open the Bible to you and show you how you can know Christ and know for sure, for certain. No ifs and buts about it Not leaving here with any question marks over your name But leaving here confident That the Lord has saved you So we invite you to come as we sing 282 verse 1 If God has spoken you simply obey Would you as we sing Just as I am If God has spoken to your heart Would you come God has spoken to your heart Would you come Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate your attention and your time, and I appreciate the Holy Spirit's faithfulness in moving and working in our hearts this morning, and I'm grateful for your faithfulness of the services Sunday School and worship service both. Thank you for being here. We encourage you to be back this evening, 6 o'clock tonight. We'll have with us Brother Gary Griffith. He comes up from Louisville, and again, I repeat, he is the director, also the pastor of Bible Baptist Church in Louisville, but he is the director of the Independent baptist black mission and i pray that you'll pray for him because he he has a great ambition and i have a great delight in helping men who have an ambition of his nature for the lord and like to see a lot of black baptist churches established all over this country preaching the truth please pray for them and do what you can to be back with us in the service tonight let's bow our heads as we go our father we're grateful for your word both that which we've heard in sunday school and now again in the worship service And we already set ourselves to receive the truth for the evening service. And we pray you'll bless Brother Griffith. He returns or comes this way this evening. Give him safety as he travels and prepare his heart as you also would prepare ours. And we do pray that you'll take the truth that our own hearts have heard this morning and move in our lives and change us from glory to glory. Thank you for the faithful Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers and implants that life of Christ so we can live a victorious Christian life. Help us as we continue our journey through this great book of Romans. I pray that you will open our eyes to the truths that can help men, women, boys, and girls be all that they potentially should be in Jesus Christ. Guide us as we go from this place and help us not forget your good grace and nurturing and working in our lives. We pray that you will also help us not forget those of our fellowship unable to come. We do pray, Father, for Mrs. Middlebrook that you will undertake in her behalf. Pray that you will heal her raise her up and get her back to us very, very soon. For Brother George Butler, we pray for your divine healing in his behalf. Ask you to minister to him personally in the need that he has there. And also pray for Brother Bob Sanders as he's away in work in regard to the electrical work in hurricane-stricken Florida. We pray for protection and safety for him and his co-workers and the people there who are giving in them themselves to get those people back into some normalcy. And we pray also for Brother Harold Dillow's friend, Mr. Logan. We pray you'll work in his heart and pray you'll open up the door of opportunity for someone to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this dying man. And remind all of us that we're dying people, that uh, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then after this, the judgment. Help us all to be missionaries today, to share our faith with those with whom we can. Help us to be diligent with our co-workers during the week, that we might do what we can to encourage them to come to know Christ as their Savior. And help us always to be true with the truth. Help us to speak the truth in love. Never embellish it. Never change it. No matter what the reaction of those we share it with may be. Remind us that it already is perfect. It does not need our tempering. Bless as we go now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You are dismissed.